Here is some encouragement as she comes to this out. Great. Um, if you were here two weeks ago, um, we uh, looked at the difference between my God being the God I choose uh, and have, and he's like my team, and um, he'll do what I say and what, uh, what I want him to do, and the difference between my God, he owns me. Do you remember that? And we looked at uh, how we saw how Thomas came to that revelation and the difference it made to his life and the life of the disciples, who, bar one, all ended up being martyred for their, for their my God, he owns me, faith. They didn't opt out, okay? Um, so today, um, I just want to continue to look at what living with the my God, he owns me, faith looks like how it works out how do we spot it what, what what kind of what does it look like and um i want to look at it from and, and pick out some points from uh psalm one okay so i've asked uh alison she can come up and she's going to read psalm one to you in three different versions now if you're not familiar with the with the bible um there are different versions it doesn't mean to say that one's wrong and one's right it's just over time, people's language changes. Uh, you have street language, you've got, there's, a, there's a street Bible. Um, and different cultures, and they try and take what the original meaning was for, from the Bible and put it into a language that current day people can actually understand and it makes more sense to them. So I've asked Alison if she'll just read Psalm 1 in three different versions for you. Don't worry, it's not a long psalm. Okay. Um, so, Psalm 1, and this is the New International Version first. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Right, this is the same psalm again, but from the New Living Translation. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind they will be condemned at the time of judgment sinners will have no place among the godly for the lord watches over the path of the godly but the path of the wicked leads to destruction and now this is from the passion version so psalm one what delight comes to the one who follows god's ways he won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way. 
nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He's never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous. But how different are the wicked, and they are his dust in the wind, driven away to destruction. The wicked will not endure the day of judgment, for God will not defend them. Nothing they do will succeed or endure for long, for they have no part with those who walk in truth. But how different it is for the righteous. The Lord embraces their paths as they move forward, while the way of the wicked leads only to doom. Thanks, Alison. She do well. So I want to just pull out four things from this psalm that uh, help us understand what living with my God, he owns my life, looks like, what shape it takes, what form it takes. Um, and the first thing is it's a life full of benefits and good things. I've put down in my notes, it's a life sentence. But not as you would see in the criminal justice, that you're punished for life, but a future, full, an ongoing future, full of life. It's a life sentence. It's not like for one week when you've got saved and it might, might last a year. It's a life sentence of life. And when Jesus talks about life, he's not just talking about any old life. In fact, in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, this is the life that Jesus is talking about. Again, in three translations. NIV, I have come that it may have life and have it to the full. Passion version, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you can expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. NLT, New Living Translation, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And the message said, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they'd ever dreamed of. Who wants that kind of life sentence? Eh? I like that life sentence, that life that Jesus is talking about. You see, God is good. He cannot be bad. He is good. And in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, it tells us that the plans God has for us are good for us, to prosper us, to give us hope, to give us a positive future. So when I talked to you like two weeks ago, and I'm talking to you now about having my God, i.e. he owns me, some of you might be thinking, well, if he owns me, isn't that a bit risky? Because if he owns me, he might harm me. He might ask me to do things that are beyond my capabilities. He might not be looking for my good. Well, that's not what my Bible tells me about God. My Bible tells me he is good and he only wants the best future for us. And if you still don't believe that, and it's been mentioned this morning, and thankfully it has in those words um, from both from Bob and Larry, that if you want to know how much God loves you, you have to sit at the foot of a cross 
maybe a horrible picture of Jesus on it, but anyway. But sit at the foot of the cross with Jesus hanging on that cross and look up at that cross and ask yourself, if God wants to own me to make my life a misery, how come it cost him that much? And if it cost him that much, why would he bother? Because I'm making a misery out of my own life anyway without his interference. God, if you give God your life and you say, you are my God, you're not my God as in in my pocket, on my app as a kind of, get me, like I said before, get me out of jail card or a, a, a search and rescue or a first aid or get me out of a pickle, God. You are my God, i.e. you are the whole authority over my life. You own me. I don't own you, God. You own me. Then he's a good God. And he is going to do good things for you. And he sent Jesus to pay that ultimate price so that he can be your God and own you. And not to play with you, not to mess about with you, but to restore all the things that he originally intended for human beings to have in a relationship with him. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. They were talking with God in the garden and God had all sorts of plans for them. And then, of course, we know it went a bit wrong. Now, God had to make a huge price to be able to buy back the right for us to be owned by God again and for us to personally choose. God, I, own, I give my life to you. You are my God. You own me. And in Romans 8, 28, it tells us that our God is so massive and so big and so powerful that he can even change all the things that are coming against us to intended to harm us he can if we stick with him as owning us he can turn even all any of those all of those into our good now i think that's a safe pair of hands if anyone's going to own me i want it to be him because he can do all of those things he can be trusted so putting him first giving our lives completely to him to own it works and it's for our benefit. It's a life full of benefit. The second thing this psalm tells me is, living a life where God owns me, there are some things that we won't be doing. There are some things not in the plan of God for our lives. And I don't know when, you, when Alison read those, those psalms through, whether you were spotting any of those. But in verse 1, it gets straight down to it, and it says, uh, you won't find a God owns me follower of Jesus, following the crowd, bowing to peer pressure, uh, adopting sinners or godless thinking, culture and lifestyle. You won't find a God owns me person living the way that ungodly people and the world and the system that we're going at the moment that goes against God, you won't find them living like that. So all we have to do is take a look at Jesus when he was on the earth. He was the truth, and he was the living truth. And that brought him into conflict, didn't it? Conflict with the people constantly. He was living the truth of God, and it made him clash with traditions, culture, and the normal of his day, especially the religious leaders who turned faith in God into a, into a business getting money out of people, and then they said one thing and did another. It was just ridiculous. It was not what God intended. And so Jesus was constantly living in that truth of God the Father 
owns me. I'm here to live my life, to share the, the truth, and then to die so that you can also have a relationship with the Father. It brought him into massive conflict with people. And, you know, the world around us, I don't know whether we have to use the word bonkers. Do you understand what the word bonkers means? Mad. I mean, I'm getting on a bit now, but the world's getting more and more bonkers, isn't it? Every time you turn on your radio or you, you hear something on the telly, you just think, can this world get any madder? So I'll tell you something that really made me angry recently. Really, really angry. I'm still angry. Notre Dame burnt down. That didn't make me angry. That made me sad, right? What really made me angry was within hours, a man had the audacity to announce that he personally, in his family, because they own lots of big highfalutin fashion businesses, he was personally going to give hundreds of millions of pounds, a, a billion, was it a billion pounds or something, a couple of billion? I don't know what it was. He was going to give, and it, not out of the business, but out of our family money. And, and the interviewer said to him, well, have you got that money? Kind of, you know, could you go and get it now? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, I was cross. I mean, okay, build it. That's great. It's a nice historical place. I've never been, but, you know, great. But excuse me, have you got that amount of money? Why haven't you brought fresh water to all the people in the world that haven't got it? Why haven't you invested that in a line of cancer research and obliterated cancer? At least Bill Gates has taken his money and his ambition is to eradicate malaria. I don't care what you think about him, I made his money or whatever, at least the guy is doing something with it. I believe that he's not leaving his kids much. He's told them he's got to work for it themselves and he's putting his money into, into eradicating malaria. Good on Bill Gates, that's what I say. And this other bloke who I don't even know his name, I don't want to know his name because I'm that cross with him, I might write to him. He's going to put billions into rebuilding a building. The world's gone bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. People are starving. Just going bonkers. And, and, and where am I? Right, yeah, I told you I've got crossways. Right? And if Jesus was here, I'm sure he'd have a lot to say about this. Right? And as a Christian, I've got a lot to say about it because I think that's ridiculous. Let's do something. If you... To whom much is given, much is required. And one day, as we'll find out in my sermon in a minute, he's going to have to give account for those billions, right? And what he did and didn't do with it. But anyway, where was I? Yes, Jesus brought him into, uh, what the speaking the truth, brought him into conflict with those people around him. And I think the world is getting more and more bonkers. And we have to, all the time, if God owns us, every time something comes up or as a new fashion or a new way of thinking or a new legislation, dare I say it, we have to go to God and say, you own me, God. What's your truth about this situation? What is your truth that I have to live out? And then we live that, not by absorbing all the stuff around us. Uh, we, only we only should do, say, and think what he says is the truth. You see, Jesus is the way. Follow him. He is the truth. Live by what his standards are and what he says. And then you will get the life, way, truth, and life that Jesus said he was. 
You won't get it by uh, copying the way the world around you is headed. And something you won't be doing either in, in verse 1 is getting comfortable and sitting and hanging out with people that don't live God's way. In that, in that thing it says that you won't be sitting down with the scoffers and, and all of those people. Now, what I'm not saying is you don't have non-Christian friends or you only work with Christians or we all go and sell our houses uh, and uh, go and live in a big Christian commune. This is not saying that, right? You don't cut yourself off and live in a Christian community. Jesus himself constantly sat down with those who didn't agree with him. But to talk, to share, to influence, and never to compromise. There's a big difference of pulling up a chair and sitting with someone and moving and, and the other difference is moving into their lifestyle, into their way, of think, their way of thinking when it's not God's way, and living like that just to fit in. Huge difference. Even when, you see, Jesus went to Nicodemus' house, right? The tax collector, the fiddling tax collector. He was creaming off loads of money for himself. Jesus went for tea at his house, and, and the religious leaders were like, what are you doing there? Do you know what this man's doing? He's dreadful. But Jesus wasn't there just to get a, a cream tea or a cuppa. He was there to influence this man because he'd seen him up the tree and he knew he was searching for truth. When Jesus arrives at his house, he gives him the truth. And you know what? We're not told what, what the conversation was, was, was with Nicodemus. But the end result was his life was completely changed and all the deception he did, he took that money and he gave it back to the people that he'd taken it wrongly from. Nicodemus had changed his mind. Well, so I think when Jesus went there, he didn't sit there and kind of agree with Nicodemus' lifestyle and ask him how much profit he'd made and kind of like, oh yeah, well in that case I'll have another, another slice of cake, Nicodemus, because you know, you've, you've, you've fiddled all these people and therefore you can have all this nice food. Well, give me a bit more of that. No, no, Jesus did not compromise. But he went to his house, he accepted him, he sat with him, he obviously gained his confidence, and Nicodemus wanted the truth, so he extracted that out of Jesus, and that changed him. So do please hang out with non, and have non-Christian friends. Do work in places where you are rubbing shoulders with non-Christians. Of course you do. But just don't allow the truth that you know to be watered down, tainted, and compromised. And when you are standing up for what you believe, please, do it right. Do not be rude. Do not be arrogant. Do not be the, I know best, don't you know, you worthless sinner. For crying out loud, do you want a broken nose? You know, there are ways of standing up and not compromising that don't offend that embrace people but not what they do and the standards that they're about. We know that, don't we, Horizon? Okay, But we, need, we just need to make sure that we are not absorbing some of the stuff and getting a little bit mis, uh, brought into their world and things being watered down. But do stand up for what you believe, but do it in the right way. Don't take up residence in places that God isn't, but visit them carrying his truth. Don't take up residence in places where God is not, but carry 
his presence into those places. I think you need to be very concerned if you behave one way with your Christian friends and on a Sunday and another when you're with your family at home or your work or where you live. If that's you, you need to really be careful because you've gone from, you've gone from my God, he owns me, to he's my God. I'll get him out on a Sunday. I'll get him out with my, my Christian friends. But when I'm with everyone else, we'll just put him back in the back pocket. I'm not risking living like that. If you do that, you don't get the end bit, the life to the max, to the full. And God's got to own all of us in order to bring that life through. And then another thing that I think we can get from this psalm in verse 5 is um, uh, how, the, how the wicked end up. Did you, did you pick out those bits? It sounds a bit awful what God's saying about all these wicked people. Um, well, this is, you know, it doesn't go down too well for them, really. Um, they don't do very well when they stand before God, and we will all have to stand before God one day, including that bloke that gave all those billions to that building. Bless him. Um, and they won't succeed or endure for long. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 1, they have no part with those who walk in truth. Now, I'm not telling you that the people that live the way that God doesn't want us to live are, you know, are, and they're definitely going to get have to account for that and be punished for that. I'm not telling you that because we, we want to gloat over it. You know, oh, these rich, wicked people, you know, not using their money and whatever. <laughs> God's going to get them at the end. No, no, no. It's, God's not putting that in there to, to help us to gloat and make us feel better about ourselves. I think he's putting it in there because it should motivate us more to pray for them and intentionally find ways of sharing the life of Jesus that we have found that they need to find. And we'll have your money as well when you've got money found him. <laughs> oh, never mind. Okay. So, do you know what I mean? If people are living contrary to what God is saying to their, their lives, we, we shouldn't be kind of like, ha-ha, you just wait till eternity, right? God's, God's got you sorted. He's going he's to sort you out. I take no delight in that whatsoever. It should motivate me to say, these guys just have not got a clue of the life that could be theirs. I need to pray for them. I need to find a way to communicate that so that they can also enjoy what I'm enjoying. And, oh, man. Do you know, um, if ever, ever, you feel like the wicked are getting away with it, right, and you're doing what's right, and it's kind of, you're, you're not prospering like they are, you always, always need to open your Bibles at Psalm 37, right? And I've just um, highlighted a bit in my Bible, right? This is the bit it says that talks about wicked, right? Don't follow after the wicked ones or be jealous of their wealth. Don't think for a moment they're better off than you. They and their short-lived success will soon shrivel up and quickly fade away like grass clippings in the hot sun. And don't think for a moment that the wicked in their prosperity will be better off than you. Stay away from anger and revenge. Keep envy far from you for, for it only leads you into lies. Let the wicked keep plotting against the godly with all their sneers and arrogant jeers. God doesn't lose any sleep over them, and he knows their day is coming. 
Evil ones take aim on the poor and helpless. They're ready to slaughter those who do right. But the Lord will turn all their weapons of wickedness back on themselves, piercing their pride-filled hearts until they are helpless. It's much better to have little combined with much God than to have the fabulous wealth of the wicked and nothing else. All the enemies of God will perish, for the wicked will only have a moment. Uh, a value and a fading glory, then one day they vanish. Here today and gone tomorrow. That's what's in line for the wicked. That's not nice, is it? That is not nice. But because they're not living by the truth, that's exactly what is going to happen. So the unrighteous people might look as though they're prospering now, but God knows, God sees, and God will call them to account in his time. Be careful you don't promote yourself to the status of God and make a call on what they deserve and when they deserve it. Because you're not God. And as soon as you start saying, oh, that wicked neighbor of mine, they've got away with this. Or somebody at work, they've cheated something and they've, and they've, they've been promoted because they've cheated. You don't say to God, oi, sort it out now. Yeah, expose him now. Come on, come on. You leave that with God because as soon as you start dictating when and what about other people, guess what you promoted yourself to? God. And we should never do that because we make the wrong call on it all. So he knows and he judges. But he also knows and he judges our lives as well, doesn't he? Uh, But with the bottom line, promise that he will give us life to the full and more than we expect if we give our lives to him and he owns us because he is God. He can turn even what is meant for our own harm into good. You can read it in the Old Testament. Read Joseph. Things happened to him. God turned it completely around for his own good. The third thing we can learn from this psalm is things we should be doing and we will be doing if God owns us. And in verse 2, it says, A person who is following God's way will take pleasure in remaining true to the word of I am. If we are owned by God, we should be listening out for what he says, reading his word, hanging out with people, worshipping. What is God saying? Absorbing his character, absorbing who he is, and attempting to live that out. This is what the good bits are in Psalm 37 for the righteous. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on all his faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life as you trust him along the way. You'll find he pulls it off perfectly. (laughs) Quiet your heart before his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. Those who trust in the Lord will live safe and sound with blessings overflowing. The humble of heart will inherit every promise and enjoy abundant peace. For the Lord takes care of his forgiven ones. By the day, by, day by day, the Lord watches the good deeds of the godly and he prepares for them his forever reward. Even in a time of disaster, he will watch over them and they will always have more than enough no matter what happens. That's what God can, that's the kind of life sentence that God's talking about. If God owns our lives and we stop dictating about our own lives and running our own lives. So 
it's God's responsibility to make this happen and not ours. All we're called to do is to live for him, trust him, and wait for his timing. And isn't that the rub sometimes? We think we know best. We think when it should happen, how it should happen, get on with it, God. And it doesn't work like that because God is God and he knows the best timing and the best thing for our lives. He's promised to bring out the best if we give our lives to him completely and try and not work it out for ourselves. And uh, quite often we just have to learn trust and patience in massive dollops. Or is that just me? The fourth thing in this psalm and the final one is we can always look at the, we can look at the result. If we live the way... I said, my God, he owns me. If we live like that, then verse uh, 3 in, in this psalm, uh, Psalm 1, says this beautiful description of what a life will look like, the result of God owning our lives. He will be like a flourishing tree standing firm, planted by God's design. I love that word, planted. God is not kind of like, oh, well, you can go there, you could do that. He's got a plan for your life. And he's going to plant you where you should be, where he wants you to be, because that's the best place for you to be. Deeply rooted, it says, this tree is. Well, that tells me our roots need to go down. Faith roots, lifestyle roots, church roots, people that wander around, you know, and not, or not go to church at all, or just kind of keep chopping and changing, whatever. They've got to develop the roots that go down to, to trust a group of people, to be known by a group of people, so that people, say, people look at it and say, are you all right? Because you, you don't look good this week. Well, how do other people know that if you never turn up to church regularly for people to know what a good-looking you looks like? You know? So you need to be rooted in church. By brooks, which speaks to me of life-giving water. If you've got those roots and you're tapping into all of that stuff, you are going to be having life-giving water. Bearing fruit in every season of life, whether that's a season of age, whether you're young, middle-aged or old, hard or good times, testing and learning times, honour and reward times, bearing fruit in all seasons of your life. Never dry and never fainting or wilting, it says. Ever blessed, ever prosperous. A, a living, healthy tree. That's the result of God owning our lives, not running our own life. So now you have it clearly laid out. Jesus as my God, the God I choose to have, I choose to follow whenever I like, at my convenience, opting in, opting out. Or my God, ultimate authority, he owns my life. Do you know what? It's a choice we need to make. Definitely there should be a point in your life where you can say, I have chosen you, God, to be my God, the ultimate authority, the person that owns me, that I live my life for, you need to make that decision in your life once. But dare I suggest those of us that have, we constantly need to be making that choice. Because I don't know about you, but life sometimes 
just starts to shove God a little bit off the driving seat. So just take five, Jesus, because I've got this. You know, I'll, I'll sort this. Or it's just subtle. You just kind of think, you know, and it, maybe it's a good habit. You know, we're talking about, we're talking about giving this morning. You no, know, yeah, 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 I, I give a tenth and I give offering and whatever. Yeah, yeah, the bag goes by. I know it's going in the bank. Well, hang on a minute. That's habit. Have I spoken to God recently about any more he wants me to give? If I haven't, then I, he's not fully in charge of my life, is he? Because he's told me to do one thing at one time and I'm living according to that. And now I'm not going back to him and saying, any change of plan? Any more? Any less? What have we got to do? I've just got into a habit, which is a good habit to give. A good habit to serve. But all in, in our minds all the time, we've got to say, if you own my life, God, is there anything? There's a, there's a lovely, um, I think it's Psalm 139. Search, search me, O God. Scan disk my life. You know what I mean? Just run your radar over my life and show me if anything comes up that you're displeased with that I could make a bit better. You know, anything that offends you, anything that kind of upsets you and think, oh, Judith, why are you, do- why are you thinking that? Why are you doing that? It'd be so much better if you could do that. And that our prayer should constantly be, God, scan my life and have a look because I so want you to own my life. I so want the life sentence your Bible tells me I can have. I don't want anything to come between me and it and me and you. And I think as Christians, we would do well to keep going and say, God, you own my life. Anything you want to say about any part of my life at the minute, because I'm all ears, because I know if you tell me the truth about that and I put it into practice, life a life sentence of life in abundance, life flourishing, like a well-watered tree that's bearing fruit in every season, even hardship season, even sickness season, bearing fruit, that's what I want. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your massive sacrifice that made it possible for us to say, you are our God, you own our lives because... You've paid the price to remove what separated us, which was our sin, our selfishness, all the rubbish that we've got in our lives. Thank you that you paid the sacrifice and you made it possible for you to own us again, for us to choose you to be ruling our lives. And God, as we sit in your presence right now, we want to ask you too to look into our lives and ask you, Father, to just show up anything in us that we need to kind of, oh yeah, that's just slipped off into my intray and it's not in your intray anymore. I've started to call the shots on that. Or you wanted to step up even more into stuff and we're just kind of content to be at the level that we're at. God, we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to search our lives and to, to show us those areas and to help us to stand for you. And while our heads are bowed, I've said it's important that people should make the decision to make God God of their lives. At the initial time that you choose to do that. If there's anyone here today, you've never, ever done that. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your saviour. Ask him to forgive you your sins and make him the God of your life. But you want to do that today. Can you just quickly put your hand up right now? 
I just needed to give the opportunity because it's fine for me to say, yeah, you need to do that, but there's an opportunity. Okay, for the, for the rest of us, let's make a commitment to God that if we want the life that he promises us to put him first, that he owns our life completely. Let's invite him in to partner with us a little bit more about communicating what that life looks like for each individual. God, we pray. What we pray for ourselves, we also pray for our church. We want you to be God of this church. We don't want to do things the way we do things just because we've, that's the way we've ended up doing them. We want to be constantly asking you. You own this church. We want you to make it work. We want you to shape it. We want you to take it forward in the, for the future. We want you to impact people's lives in this area. So God, we pray for our church and we pray for every person that owns this place as their church to God to, to seek your face about what that looks like for us. We pray for our leadership team and our trustees, oh God, that they will constantly have the faith and the vision and the hearing to hear what you were saying about your church horizon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.